This is Jason Albert, and you are listening to Nordic Nation from Faster Skier. Okay, a little bit of a disclaimer. This is a longer intro than normal. If you've been following along with the global ski scene and ski wax, you know that superfluorinated waxes have been a hot-button topic. From issues with importing into the U.S., stories on potential health and environmental risks, and new green wax products coming online, it's been hard to keep up with all the trends. The International Ski Federation announced last month that it would move towards a fluoro-free race series next year. That did catch the surprise of many. It was really expected that any potential fluoro ban would come down after the 2022 Winter Olympics. Now, taking all this into consideration, perhaps the most wide-ranging series of fluoro use in the cross-country world was published this fall by the Norwegian newspaper Dagbladet. This series was multifaceted. It explored fluoro use and personal stories about illness and even death, and industry's response to the upcoming EU regulations on C8 chemistry. We spoke to one of the lead journalists involved with the project, John Rasmussen. He's based in Oslo, and among his beats, he covers the World Cup. We'll link to the story series on the website, but keep this in mind. Google Translate often offers rough approximations when translating Norwegian to English. Hello. Hey, how are you? Not bad, not bad. Okay, so uh, before we get going, can I get you to introduce yourself and tell me where you are and what you do? Yeah. Uh, my name is John Rasmussen. I'm, I'm a journalist working for the Norwegian newspaper Dagbladet in Oslo, Norway. Um, yeah, that's me. Okay, and part of your beat is that you cover Nordic skiing in, in many capacities, and one of those is, I believe, you cover the World Cup. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're on it all season, but you certainly cover the World Cup. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. You, Your paper ran a, a very extensive series, uh, and I'll have you kind of explain what the series really was about and how you might frame that. But in a nutshell, um, this series, to me, tries to make lots of connections between the use of fluorinated or perfluorinated ski waxes and one is adverse health effects or impacts on people that have been involved with skiing or wax teching. And in addition, um, you delved into how the how industry has, uh, yeah, I gotta, I gotta be careful here, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, what's industry's involvement or are they complicit in terms of marketing uh, a substance that they may or may not have known was, uh, could could have adverse effects. Um, yeah. So, how would you describe the series that you guys are in? Um, that's uh, it's it's that's a broad question. Uh, uh, the uh, it's a series about fluorinating fluorinated um, compounds in ski waxing and what it does to uh, human health, uh, the environment, whether or not we have known what it does to human health uh, uh, and the environment. I suppose that's in short what the whole of this series is about. Because it started off sort of, yeah, probably two years ago with with a mum of three um, 
from just outside Oslo, uh, who died with cancer and was adamant that uh, she had her kidney cancer because she had waxed so many skis with fluor uh, fluorinated powder over many years without using uh, any protection gear at all. So uh, what happened was we, we sort of started off wanting to tell her story because it was, a, it was a human touch story that many could relate to uh, where you had, you had the parent aspect that you want to do whatever you can do for, uh, for your children. And uh, obviously uh, for her, her hobby and, and um, what she did for her kids had a tragic outcome at least that's what she that's what she self felt and meant so so we sort of started off with that story um because it, it that story had, had created a lot of debate in norway and well i am so one of the things that it comes up a lot in the states and globally is you know how do is it speculation when you try to link whether or not a substance is a carcinogen, you know, is it cancer causing or is it not? You know, there's so many variables at play. Yeah. So how did you guys approach that journalistically in terms of how to present uh, stories that are linking, you know, and they're sensational, right? I mean, it's like you read that you're like, Oh my gosh, I don't, I don't want to expose myself to these, to these products. No. You know, how do you sort of as a journalist, how did you guys, try to present that information and and I know and you can talk about this like you interviewed some doctors but yeah. at the same time it's very difficult to have direct evidence of causation exactly and and there are no direct evidence of causation here and, and you know always with cancer if you if you uh, apart from smoking cigarettes or tobacco there are no 100% <clears throat> with cancer and that's that's probably the, the you know the that was that was the biggest issue with this well you know there are a lot of people claiming this and that but uh, there aren't any evidence and and previously doctors had said uh, well it it probably isn't linked but what came out of our research was that the uh, some of the, the fluorinated substances, the PFOA, for instance, uh, was proven to be carcinogenic. Uh, so the, the substance in itself was causing cancer in places um, that had been massively exposed to it. For, insta for yeah. instance, in the US, where you had the, the big DuPont and the 3M scandals poisoning um drinking water and so just so just to take a step back when we're referring to we can kind of have a uh, kind of a sign card here so pfoa we're talking about c8s or uh, a fluorinated compound yeah. with a eight carbon uh chain spine if you will correct yeah yeah okay yeah and so can you talk a little bit about how you guys ended up, you know, being comfortable enough where, you know, you would state outright like, yes, there's a direct link between PFOAs and say cancer. Yeah. Uh, we sort of lent on international studies, uh, on that because 
obviously there's a big difference between direct PFOA um, exposure and um, uh, uh, PFOA exposure through ski waxing because the levels will be very, very different. So you, you still can't say that if you wax skis with, say, fluorinated powder, you will have cancer if you don't use masks. It's not as simple as that. But what, what, what researchers and, and, um, and doctors now say is that uh, even with a low dose of exposure to, to for instance, PFOA, you might develop cancer. And the cancer types that are linked to PFOA exposure is kidney, testicle cancer, and liver cancer. So you have sort of certain cancer types that are linked to the exposure of the PFOA. And obviously, uh, knowing that from um, available research, then it got really interesting looking at um, the, um, the cross-country mum that we were writing about because she had kidney cancer which was one of the cancer types that are linked to PFOA exposure however if we were to say that she might have had it from from ski waxing well there had to be others because ski waxing is is big in a way a lot of people do it so the, in order for us to sort of establish a link we sort of went out to try to find other stories of either other health issues or cancer stories connected to ski waxing. So we started ringing, uh, ringing up all the, the big ski clubs in Norway, uh, talking to people who were centrally placed in, uh, in, in different parts of the community, um, asking, you know, what, what have you heard? Have you heard anything? Uh, what's going on and and through those rounds of talking to people a lot of other different aspects turn up as well uh with with the flu uh, uh, with the ski waxing i.e um the criticism of of the um skiing association that had not provided any information about any health risks before 2017 which was odd because uh, it was already established in 2009 that it could have a health impact. Were, did you ever get a response from the Ski Federation as to why they were reluctant to disseminate that type of information? They, um, they replied that they had done it, uh, would you say, orally. Uh, they had no or have no written um, documentation as to whether or not they have informed or not. Uh, they're saying they, they have informed, but they, they've done it through uh, training courses, ski waxing courses, and obviously by providing their own waxes with waxing trucks, uh, <laughs> headlighting that uh, it, it, it's, it, it's because of health issues. Right. Yeah, so, so that's basically their reply. And, you know, I'm curious, and I, I, maybe this is a strong word, but I'll use the word that they use in cycling, the omerta, where, you know, there was this sort of unwritten code that you don't discuss yeah. the doping and you don't call out your friends, you don't call out 
your brothers in arms, so to speak. Um, And I get, again, like I'm just using that word because it gets tossed around in sport now. Um, And it's been tossed around recently here in the U.S. in terms of talking about uh, Mm. body weight and, you know, weigh-ins for, say, track athletes and and looking at those sort of indices and people haven't talked about it. So did you get a sense that like people, I mean, let's face it. I mean, you're using a mass to apply a chemical to a piece of sports equipment to go faster. Yeah. So there's got to be a reason you're using that. Um, did you get a sense that people just didn't want to talk about either their own health effects or like, wow, this is crazy. Why are we doing this? Because they felt they might be ostracized. Uh, yes and no, because some people were very interested in talking about uh, particularly their own health effects and and the stories that they had heard or even experienced as waxers. Not so much in the clubs, though. We had a sense that people didn't really want to, I guess you could say, grass up anyone who had not been good enough uh, using masks or expose themselves to a risk that they could have or should have known was there for for the old professional ski waxers uh, we spoke to more or less everyone who would on a professional level skied norwegian cross-country skis on national level uh, since 1987 so a lot of them were were telling us about their own health problems uh, and a lot of them were denying that they had any health problems and and they were denying it despite we had other people saying that they had (laughs) yeah oh interesting okay why do you think that might be like what would be their incentive to um not disclose something like that do you think there could be loads of incentives and one is health insurance if you go out and say look i have health problems due to my own ski waxing you could have um, you could have problems with either life insurance, health insurance, any anything really. So uh, I can understand why people would be reluctant to tell openly about their health issues. It's it's basically it's it's a not a thing you do, but um, probably a bit you know surprisingly enough, a lot of lot of the old waxers were willing. And they were willing, I think, because they still find that um, uh, the waxing cabins and and how they are treated as professionals around the world, and especially in the World Cup and and European Cups, it just isn't good enough. You know, the the, the conditions they're working under isn't good enough, and it still isn't. So their agenda in talking to us about their health problems is that, you know, it's about time the organisers do something about this and provide us with uh, with proper uh, proper conditions. That uh, you know, one of the things that I've spoken to several people about here in the U.S. is, and again, I, I I'm fine to state that I have many flaws, and one of them may be that I just haven't located the real thorough best practices document yet. Yeah about how you should use these chemicals, what type of work environment is safe to use these chemicals. Um, Is there some, is there a document like that that's readily available for parents, club coaches, you know, at every level, I suppose, in Norway? 
Um, no, it's it's not any sort of document saying you know this is buy this and you'll be fine. Uh, but there is now, and it has been for two years, uh, a set of uh, what they call rules for waxing uh, in your private uh, waxing booth, uh, where where you have you need to wear a mask, you should wear gloves, and you should uh, definitely have ventilation. Preferably go outside, uh, and that's basically it. But if it's minus twenty outside. Uh, you're going to be indoors, and especially if you're going to wax a lot, a lot of skis. So, uh, essentially, you need proper ventilation. What that is is uh, is not clear. Okay, right. I mean, like, yeah. But I, I suppose in in terms of best practice, I think if you look at if you look towards the the waxing trucks uh, that have suctioned um, irons for uh, additional ventilation and even. Uh, suction in the table to get all the fumes and dust more or less out before they reach the mask then you have you're nearing in on the best practice uh, of of 2019 anyway right but it it is it it you also have sort of limited resources for people who are who are who are using fluoros right like yeah i mean those vacuum irons are quite pricey um yeah and not everyone has the luxury of any type of ventilation. Do you get the sense? And I know that there's been at least a 16 and younger last year. They've tried, or the past couple of years, they've tried to implement, implement a fluoro band in those age groups. Um, yeah. And I know it's a work in progress, but do you find, say, at club races, that the working conditions, if people are applying fluoros, um, appear to be suitable, you know, beyond the World Cup? Um, uh, from, from what people tell me, it, the, the conditions last year, w- which was the first season with the fluoro, fluorine ban in Norway, the conditions within the waxing tents uh, at lower-level ski racing was a lot better than it had been. And the ban in, in the, the, the youth classes... Uh, did work in terms of you're not turning up in a in a common wax tent um, burning in your fluorine powder because it's banned. <laughs> so if you if you're going to do it, you're probably going to do it at home or somewhere else, but not at the stadium because you would be cheating. Right, and that's a whole nother. I I, I know it's nascent right now. Just the ability to even test skis is costly getting you know results back in a timely fashion is uh not exactly a deterrent it takes i think upwards of a week to get results from germany um yeah do you sense that people are buying into this though i think a lot of people want um a a lot of people want a, a fluorine ban uh a lot of people don't want the fluorine ban uh, without any proper uh, testing method. And, uh, uh, you know, this last week, it's been um, one of the suggestions have been training uh, dogs uh, to sniff out the fluorine under skis. So you can you can sort of sniff out the skis and then as 
as an athlete, you could have a um, uh, the choice of do you, the dog is is probably saying that you have fluorine under your skis. Do you want to compete with those skis and we'll have a proper test of them later and you could end up being disqualified? Or do you want to change a pair to, uh, to a pair that's not going to um, cause any reaction on the dog? That could be one way of just, you know, solving it before people actually ski on fluorinated skis. But it's difficult. It's difficult. What has been the general reaction in Norway to this series of articles? I mean, I knew that you folks were working on the articles that we corresponded a couple months ago. Um, yeah. And uh, I have to be honest, it's far more extensive than I had anticipated. Um, mm. What's been the reception in Norway over the series of articles, knowing that, you know, cultural heritage is so linked to the sport of cross-country skiing? Yeah. Uh, the reception has been very good, uh, by and large. Um, obviously, there are people saying that we're sensationalists uh, and there are no, there are, there are no evidence of, of either you know, cancer links or anything. But, but I think the whole point of this series, because we even blood tested um, amateurs, amateur waxes, and found that their level of PFOA in their blood is, is high. And it's above the, the uh, what do you call it, danger limit set by EU for these uh, substances to have in your blood. So we, we sort of documented that even for normal uh, keen parents who who wax their kids skis indoors these substances that they put on the skis aren't good we don't know uh, exactly what's going to happen to uh, our health but we know that you're 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 at a high risk of developing some sort of health problem if you have high levels of these uh, substances in your blood and that goes to the core of of what Norwegians do uh, in skiing, because because we wax our skis and ski waxing is massive. So so just knowing that some of the substances, some of the products that that we put under our skis could be endangering our own health. Right. In this sport that's supposed to be um, it's supposed to be clean. It's supposed to be good for health. Um, it, it's supposed to get people out uh, into the nature um it it's just a huge uh, would you say discrepancy or uh, a cognitive dissonance <laughs> of sorts um so um you know um uh, this mm -hmm. article series and what we've documented in in it has uh, has been um, i think shocking to a lot of people can you talk a little bit about the role of industry, because there are a couple of articles where industry is discussed. And when I mean industry, I think of, you know, the, the manufacturers of the ski wax. Yeah. Um, they're discussed and what they may or may not have known. And in addition, there's another article on the actual contents in some of these highly perforated waxes and yeah. whether or not there's a discrepancy between what is claimed to be in the wax and what is actually in the wax if you can also yeah. talk about that yeah uh, and if uh, we can start with with uh, with what's 
what's been communicated for ski waxes is uh, is interested is, is interesting because um, we we've had the feeling that you know the waxing producers have become more and more environmentally friendly uh, and uh, for years we've we've heard that you know this C8 technology it's been outphased there will be a ban in the EU from next summer but don't worry it's it's out of our, our products long time ago we don't have any uh, we don't use any PFOA we don't have any PFOA in our in our waxes uh, it's it's totally safe. Um, uh, that that's that's the general impression you have when you look at uh, the, the the producers' websites. Um, it's very green. It's very environmentally friendly. Uh, and we sort of wanted to find out if that was the case of in what we bought. So we went to one of the one of the biggest ski stores in Oslo. Um, and bought 11 different products, fluorinated products, and analyzed them for, for their contents and obviously uh, found PFOA over, over the limits of what's being banned in the EU in nine of them. Um, and in, in the others, there were also pro deeply problematic fluorinated uh, compounds. So... At best, the, the rhetoric that's been used by the industry has been misleading, uh, I would say, in terms of what we found in, in the products that we actually bought. Some people would say that the UE, and I, I could pull them up and I can maybe reference it in like the text that I put with this, but that the EU standards for PFOAs, like they're not outright banned starting, I think it's like July 4th, 2020 or something. There, there's no yeah. outright banned, yeah. Yeah. but it is essentially a ban because the limits are so, so effectively low. Yeah. So are we talking about like it's yeah. slightly higher than those like very small amounts or that threshold? Or are we talking about like a significant percentage, you know, percent volume of the wax actually is containing PFOAs. And I'm not trying to like belittle the, the, the hazard. I'm just trying to get a grasp on yeah. what we're talking about. The, uh, the, uh, the, the, the ban or the, the, the threshold uh, set by the EU from next summer is, is 25 nanograms per gram of PFOA. And that's that's one of the fluorinated um, substances in these waxes, but that's also the only one that's been outright banned from next summer. I'm calling it a ban because 25 nanograms per gram is is basically nothing. But but uh, interestingly, um, that's called C8 because it's got um, uh, it's an eight carbon chain. Um, uh, substance so the industry has said well that's not a problem because we've changed to c6 technology so our our, our flu fluoros are now six chained so you're not going to be able to uh find that in ski waxes uh and therefore we're we're, we're within the limits of what's allowed and for the um for the powders that we tested, we had PFOA levels up to 
over 30,000 nanograms per gram. That's 1,215 times the legal limit from next summer. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's quite massive. <laughs> Could we make the assumption then that starting, I mean, again, it, the production run might be different for next year and that these, they'll refine their manufacturing um, standards and meet those thresholds? Or are we thinking that, well, there's a roll of the dice and, you know, just hoping that this, these products aren't collectively tested uh, by, you know, the, the reach labs or whomever's uh, testing the product. Yeah, I think um, uh, the the uh, the producers of these uh, powders and waxes with uh, higher um, contents of PFOA, they're all saying that you know we're we're okay for next year. We, we're all using different technology, different um, different fluoros. We have products that are going to be within the uh, the new um, regulations, which they probably have. But the, the problem as we see it is, as, is the impression that we've had that they've been within these regulations for years, that what they've produced for the last years have been without the C8s and within the coming regulations. Whereas what we bought then in a shop in Oslo uh, with a lot of people buying stuff. So it's not as if we just tracked down some village uh, store that has no sale. They're still full of this, you know, and it turns out that, you know, the powders that we tested, none of them are, uh, are going to be on the market next year because all the producers know that, you know, we've, we've produced this with the old technology and they're full of the PFOA that are going to be banned. So we're not, we're not going to be allowed to sell these uh, powders from next summer. No one, no one's ever said that, you know, uh, what they've said is that, you know, our, our products are, are good. There are, uh, they're even environmentally friendly, they've said, but no fluoro, uh, is environmentally friendly. Do, is there any labeling that says this meets 2020 reach standards or wherever that packaging might be like? Uh, no, th there are no packaging uh, as of now saying that. Okay. Um, what sort of response was there from industry after you disclosed these, um, the findings from the chemical analysis? Uh, most of the uh, producers that we tested was, um, was, quite open i would say saying that you know we could have told you this without you testing it but the problem was they didn't uh whereas uh the biggest producer swix um were adamant that there, there there were no pfoa in their waxes and uh when we documented it, it, it they still said there isn't any pfa pfoa in our waxes because it's not a compound it's uh uh, it's a pollution. Like a byproduct? Yeah, like a byproduct. So therefore they're saying there isn't anything there, even though it is. Gotcha. And just to follow that logic thread, meaning like when you're applying the heat or whatever the application might be, that 
uh, a longer chain fluorocarbon might be converted to a PFOA. I mean, that, uh, is yeah. that sort of, okay. I mean, again, I'm not a chemist, so I'm just sort of running through like what no, that, neither what am I. that <laughs> how that logic might work. Okay. Wow. Okay. And, um, are, are you, and yeah. if, if, if I can just, I can just add to that because, um, the e EU, it's on a sort of a watch list in the EU now, and it will, they will be banned within a couple of, within a couple of years. And that's the, uh, the C9s to the C14s. They're on the watch list for EU because they have similar, um, uh, worrying, um, capacities as the C8. And now for, uh, for a lot of the powders, you have massive amounts of C9, C10, C11s up to C25, uh, fluoros, um, chains in their waxes. What is also the thinking I've, I had a, I'm sure you've spoken to these folks over at, I think it's a pop free, initiative yeah. to have fluoro free, you know, skiing. Um, and, you know, they discussed with me a few months ago. And again, I, I'm curious what your thoughts on this, that, you know, there's, they're working already to ban C6s, you know, it was, yeah. Uh, be, yeah. So is that, I mean, how is that sort of playing out? I know industry, it takes time to gear up industry and to modify and transform, you know, to go yeah. from C8 to C6 and then C6 to a smaller chain. Have yeah. you have you spoken to any industry folks about how they're going to handle that? Uh, yeah, uh, I, I think the C4 to C6 ban is is a, a few years away. So by changing to C6 technology, you sort of buy yourself some years in, in, in the production of these things. The C9 to C14, which um, is, is closer to a ban than the C4 to C6. So uh, by shortening uh, the, the carbon lengths in production, the industry have bought themselves some years. How, however, the FIS ban, the total ban on, on fluoro products is a much harder blow because it doesn't really help with C4 or C6. It's still fluoros and they're banned. They, or they will be banned from next season. Yeah, so let's talk about that. I mean, this came down uh, before or, or, or sort of in the midst of, of the release of your whole series, if not after the whole complete yeah. um, release of the series. I spoke to Vegard Olvang. I, I maybe a month, month and a half ago, but a few, maybe like two weeks before the ban was announced. And I had a sense, I was like, this guy seems pretty um, determined to, to get a control, to get a handle on the use of fluoros in, in the sport, at least at the world yeah. cup level. Yeah. Um, has this been something that's been in the works and, and spoken about uh, under the radar for a while, or did this sort of just come about because now there's been a tremendous amount of, uh, you know, a lot of journalism discussing uh, the use of of fluoros and possible adverse effects. I think uh, I think the journalism around this has definitely uh, speeded up this process. I, I mean, this ban, this FYS ban, for me, and I've been following cross country quite close for for a, a good number of years now. It came out of the blue. No one was expecting the the board, the the, 
to to ban fluoros in total from next season. I think uh, you know if you would have if you'd asked me from when will fluoros be banned in in, in cross country and alpine skiing, I would have guessed at earliest after the Beijing Olympics, at earliest. So this came uh, very very fast and um, and probably because. Um, most people could see that um, fluoros in terms of both health and nature isn't compatible with what what the winter sports uh, want to look like. So but it, it begs the question, and I've been thinking a lot about this, that, you know, do you make an exclusion for the, the top level? You know, it's like um, thinking about Formula One, right? I mean, the Formula One car is a distant relative, barely, you know, barely even common DNA to my like Prius, right? They're still similar, but I know that yeah. when I'm watching a Formula yeah. One race, I'm like, that's something other. And not that I would make an excuse, but I'm just sort of playing devil's advocate. But but is the World Cup that arena, right? Where it's like you're already watching uh, you know, human beings that are just so phenomenal that I can barely relate to the speed at which they're traveling. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm just kind of curious, like, you know, how that discussion's gone on in, in Norway. Where, yeah. I, I yeah. think, I think the, 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 the sort of gist of it is, uh, it's not going to be more healthy in the world cup and it's not going to be more environmentally friendly by using it in the World Cup. So either we agree that these products shouldn't be there or we agree that it's okay to use them. And that goes for all at any level. And even even in Formula One, you've had sort of li limits in, in terms of, uh, you know, tires. Uh, and, and that's because, uh, you know, economy and size of teams matter. And it does in, in you know, in, in skiing too. Uh, and what do you say to, I don't know, the Mongolian ski waxers in, in some uh, dodgy uh, wax cabin uh, at the World Championships or the World Cups saying, well, it doesn't really matter that you haven't got proper ventilation here because the big nations have. You know, you, you, can't, really, you can't really do that. Is there, and I've seen comments from our own, you know, the faster we are, wet, faster skier side, I've talk to people that that are thinking well the the product is going to be diminished mm. you know um meaning that their perception is oh well the fast skis make for better more exciting mm. racing um and i don't know if there's any real truth to that to be honest if everybody is on you know effectively the same or very similarly prepped skis the racing should still be exciting i you know how are those diehard fans of the World Cup, um, are they trying to give any sort of spin that, like, no, you shouldn't be doing this? It should be the Wild West. Um, I think, I think, uh, I think most of the athletes um, they want to see an even playing field. So, if it's banned, well, fine, let's ban it. But you need to find some sort of way of uh, of testing, uh, some reliable testing method that 
that will expose any any sort of misuse of of the old products because you know at, at the right condition we're talking a minute in time on a 10k uh, so uh, obviously it's it, it, if people cheat with it it's going to be more effective than blood doping to be to be fair and honest um and you know for the top athletes that's obviously a worry <laughs> can you cheat and get away with it or or can you not and if you can't i think all athletes will say well as long as we compete on the on the same level okay. that's fine um the, and and hopefully or maybe you can or cannot answer this but in terms of how you know 17 and under then and the regulate regulating fluoro use that is um you know no fluoros both on the ski base and in the kick wax is that correct yeah okay um and here's sort of a non sequitur but i thought i'd ask you there's talk of some ski companies that buy raw fluorinated material mm. um and impregnate the bases with that. Any, yeah. Have you come across discussion of that and how yeah. that might be regulated? Um, I don't think that's um, on the cards for being regulated. Actually, um, as long as as long as the production of the fluorinated stuff they put on or in the ski uh, base is uh, is legal, legal, i.e., not C eight. Uh, I think uh, I think um, that's fine. Uh, the worry is that you know, because you you do you you will probably find fluorinated substances in all ski bases, and the worry for people with the ban and especially the, 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 in the youth classes in Norway is will uh, will a test a flu fluoro test will it uh, um, will it react to the ski base? You know, will it will it sort of give false positives? Whereas uh, the um, the people who develop the test says no, it won't. And uh, I'm not a chemist, so I don't know. <laughs> right, right. Um, but you you might be able to start a kennel and you know make a mint on fluoro sniffing dogs. It sounds like. <laughs> I last question is, uh, you know what. What was the talk, or maybe there wasn't any talk, about what was going on in the U.S. the past year and a half about the difficulty acquiring certain fluorinated uh, wax products over here? Yeah. Uh, there hasn't been much talk about it. Um, some talk, uh, uh, some talk that some of the producers had trouble uh, exporting their um, uh, powders uh, to the U.S., but there hasn't been too much talk about it. Yeah, it's interesting. I thought, yeah, is here it, it not that things are status quo. There's definitely diminished product line. Yeah, the next big thing or big discussion coming out uh, here is: can you use it if you have it, or can't you? <laughs> right. Well, thanks again, and thanks for all your work. Yeah. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't listened to Faster Skiers' other podcast yet, we've started a new series. Essentially, it's a post-World Cup recap with a former World Cup skier from Canada, Devin Kershaw. 
You can find The Devin Kershaw Show on iTunes and Google Play.